the protocol? No, you can call it to order. Okay, well, thank you very much. I heard uh, somebody hit the recording button. So um, thank you very much everyone to be, to be here tonight. So we're calling the meeting to order at 6.35 p.m. And we are going to do a roll call. So if you can answer here or raise your hand when and you hear my name, please do so. Um, first of all, uh, Melenta, Chloe, Tree. Here. Thank you. Christian. Here. Gildas. Jory. Here. And myself. And then from staff, we have um, Forest Community Services Director Lean. Human Services Manager Jen. Jen is here. Okay. Human Services Coordinator Annie. Here. Youth Services Coordinator Reggie. Here. Oh, and Human Services Coordinator Amanda. Okay, now the next uh, item in the agenda is for us to uh, have the land acknowledgement. I think uh, Commissioner Shri is uh, offered to read it for tonight. So please go ahead. Yeah, thank you. We acknowledge that the Southern Salish Sea region lies on the unceded and ancestral land of the Coast Salish peoples, the Duwamish, Muckleshoot, Puyallup, Skykomish, Snoqualmie, Snohomish, Suquamish, and Tulalip tribes, and other tribes of the Puget Sound Salish people. And that present-day city of Kirkland is in the traditional heartland of the lake people and the river people. We honor with gratitude the land itself, the first people who have reserved treaty rights and continue to live here since time immemorial, and their ancestral heritage. Thank you very much, Commissioner Sri. Um, who would like to read the land acknowledgement for the next meeting in March? Uh, I think I can do it. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Christian. So uh, the next thing is uh, approval of the minutes. So um, it I put a motion to approve the minutes of January 23rd to 2024. You actually can't approve them because you don't have quorum. Okay, yeah. so should I just skip that? Yeah. Should uh, we ask items from the audience or we should we skip that too? We can do items. So we have three people um, in the audience. I so out of practice on this, I forget. Did they they have to raise their hands or somehow notify me that you if you're interested in speaking? Michael, so I will promote you from TikTok, and you'll have three minutes, and I will um let you know when um, you have a minute left on your So whenever you're ready, go ahead and start. All right, can uh, folks hear me? Yes. Perfect. 
see some heads shaking. Uh, good evening. My name is Michael Bailey, and it's a pleasure to join you tonight, or at least kind of in the virtual sense. Um, sorry, can't be there with you in person, but I at least wanted to join via Zoom and um, really just take an opportunity to introduce myself and my organization. Um, I recently joined Compass Housing Alliance as their new president and CEO back in October of last year. Uh, prior to joining the organization, I served as the deputy director of operations and homelessness for the Seattle Human Services Department. Um, and as the organization's new president, I'm really just here because I believe, like much of you, that everybody deserves a home. And I'm lucky enough to have an organization that believes the same thing and happy to say it's a belief that our 200 plus employees also believe in. For those of you who may not be familiar with Compass Housing Alliance, we're not a coalition, we're not an association, even though the Alliance part of the name would suggest that. We're actually a social services nonprofit that provides housing options and other programs to help people really live the lives that they're destined to live. We've been around for 103 years, so chances are we're likely the best and oldest housing provider that you've never heard of. Um, but I'm hoping that we can change that and hopefully starting tonight. To add a little bit more background, we got our start in downtown Seattle on Pioneer Square back in 1920. And since then, we've grown quite a bit. Uh, we currently have 20 plus locations across King County, including a healthy housing site in Auburn that we just opened up last month. Across the 20 plus sites, we provide a continuum of housing options um, that includes hygiene and mail services for individuals living on sheltered, emergency shelter for folks who are ready to come inside. We also provide permanent supportive housing for individuals that are ready to live independently, but just need a little support and love getting there. We also provide affordable housing as well. And earlier this year, we actually signed a contract with King County to become the first veterans only shelter in King County. I myself went to a military academy in South Carolina, so super excited about that one. And on a personal note, uh, again, just kind of wanted to introduce myself. I love to serve, and I come from a family of public servants. My mother and grandmother were teachers. My father and his father both served in the military. And even though I went to a military academy, I myself wanted to dedicate my life to supporting families in need, uh, more so by working in mental health and human services. And been fortunate enough to find a career and an organization that allows me to fight for other people. So I often tell people working at Compass is both a pleasure and a privilege. It's a privilege for someone to trust you with their hopes and dreams, and it's a pleasure to serve and watch those dreams come true. So if and when Kirkland is ready, uh, Housing Compass Alliance is ready to serve you and your community in whatever way you desire. So just again, thank you for your time. Wanted to take a few minutes to introduce myself and hoping that we can be a familiar face in the near future. Thank you very much, Michael. Um, thank, you. thank you. And the next person that is there to speak, Reggie. Yeah, I see um, Karen Hartman, you're in um, the audience. If you want to speak, if you could raise your hand, otherwise um, we'll just move on to our next agenda. Oh, she raised her hand, let me help you. Uh, Karen, I think you heard- uh, Hi, can everybody hear me? Feel. Yep, you have- Hi, everybody. You, uh, uh, 
This is Karen Hartman. Gabby, I know you from someplace. I'm trying to remember where. <laughs> um, I am here from the Kirkland Senior Council. I am the uh, transportation chair and I'm also the secretary for the council. I'm so glad that you guys invited me and also Kurt. Uh, who is on this call also. Um, really looking forward to what everybody has to say. I also have a question for sound, the Sound Generations rep when they come on, um, a particular question regarding getting a ride for a senior um, who is in great distress, and I wanna know if that's possible. So um, if you guys could just keep that in mind or I'll try to remember <laughs> one of the two. Anyway, that's it. Thank you very much, Karen. Uh, is there anybody else in the audience that needs to speak, uh, Reggie? No. Okay, well, that concludes uh, the items from the audience. And we consider this period now is closed. Attendees are welcome to stay. Um, but we are now moving forward to the next item in our agenda, that is special presentations. And tonight, sorry. sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to remind those that are attending the meeting this evening that the public comment period is the only time in the meeting where guests are able to provide comment to the commission. We don't um, allow attendees to ask questions of presenters. So we'll have to follow up separately with Karen about her questions. Thank you very much for that, uh, Jen. And I think um, we have our, do we have our, our presenters already? Okay, thank you very much. So we now, we are like to introduce our special presentation for tonight that is from Sound Generations. I'm going to pass it to Annie, our Human Services Coordinator Equity to introduce the presenter. Thank you, Annie. Hi, um, so I'd like to introduce Fern Locke. Um, Fearon is one of the uh, is the director of transportation for Sound Generations. I'm going to allow him to give you a little more um, information on the work that he does. But we have partnered with Sound Generations um, Hide Shuttle uh, project over here on the east side by providing um, three spaces at our North um, Kirkland Community Center. Um, for their van parking um, while they're uh, providing services in the Kirkland area and on the east side. So I'm going to hand it over to Farron. Thanks for being here tonight. Yes, thank you, Annie. Thank you, everyone, um, for your time and allowing me to um, be here uh, this evening. Uh, my name is Farron Latch. Um, you use he, him pronouns, uh, Transportation Director at Sound Generations. Um, been in this position for uh, just a little over two years, two years and a week to be exact. And um, I just want to acknowledge those that came who did the work before me um, to kind of get this to where it's at now. Um, you know, the wills, um, no pun intended, were already in motion, um, getting, you know, service to the east side, you know, especially the city of Kirkland as well. Um, there's a lot of planning, a lot of focus groups. Um, you know, Annie, thank you for for your help in facilitating those focus groups as well. It's a big part of the process. And um, we did run a pilot um, on the east side from October 2022 till July of 2023. 
And um, during that time, that was right when the um, Washington State Department of Transportation Consolidated Grant Application was taking process. So we applied um, and, you know, we, we were able to secure funding uh, to continue the service, um, shuttle service on the east side for two years. So for 2024 and 2025. Um, Karen, I'm sorry, I forgot. Did you want to share slides or do you want me to share them for you? I'm happy. I think you should have share yeah. screen um, ability. So whenever you're ready, go ahead. Perfect. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I can share them on my end. But yeah, so that's kind of the work that was done from our arrival and to where we are now. So now we have permanent funding um, for two years and we definitely look to extend um, when the time comes to to get another, you know, four years of funding, now that is, it should no longer be considered a new project. So, and I will share um, slideshow here. beginning here sorry okay so again this is a um just a overview of, of Hyde shuttle um now that the pilot is over um we've consolidated the naming it was rising smiles as the pilot now it's just considered part of um, Hyde shuttle so a little background again um um the director of transportation and um this overview is going to provide a background of Hyde the service area and coverage Services provided, uh, benefits of Hyde Shuttle, success metrics and achievements, and also um, future plans and opportunities. So just a little history of, of Hyde. Um, you know, the Hyde Shuttle started back in 1997 with just one shuttle, and now we operate over um, 40 shuttles in King County. Um, we provide door-to-door -door shuttle service for older adults, um, 55 and older, and adults with disabilities. Um, those don't with disabilities don't um, need to be 55 and over. There's no age requirement for for them. Um, so our friendly, specially trained drivers transport riders to hot meal programs, medical appointments, senior centers, grocery stores, and other local destinations. Um, so it's usually for those who have difficulty getting around. Uh, the service provides an opportunity to socialize and stay within their communities. Um. So just for now, since we did the expansion on the east side, um, the service covers you know the cities of Kirkland, Bellevue, and Redmond. And uh, what makes this um, the east side service unique from the, our existing high shuttle model on um, the other cities in King County is we still have the flexibility to have um, riders travel between the cities because in the current Hyde models, for instance, in Federal Way or Auburn or Kent, um, the riders can only travel within the city limits. So they can't go from Kent to Renton or from Renton to Shoreline. Um, they have to stay within the cities. Um, so we carry that over because that was um, very successful during the pilot phase. And we have the flexibility now to continue running a shuttle between the three cities. Um, but we still operate mainly within the city confines of, of each city, but that, that, so we're looking to keep um, the shuttle service that transports between the three cities as long as we can. And um, that was part of, of why we uh, implemented that into the pilot. So again, to be available for service, just have to be an older adult, 55 and older and any persons with a disability 
Um, so you're able to make reservations over the phone uh, or online. And we also have an app um, through our software provider that we use to schedule rides called uh, CTS Tripmaster. And, um, but the majority, 95% of our ride requests are still done over the phone, but we do offer, again, the, on our website to, to request rides as well as on the app. Um, so for riders, they, you know, they can have, um, um, a companion. So, you know, anything they can have a friend or family member or anyone that, that could come along with them. We just need to know prior or when they're booking the ride, whether they want to bring a companion. Um, and we also work with social workers, discharge planners and rider advocates and referral agencies, um, may now also request a ride for the rider if the rider is unable to do so themselves. Um, so we operate the hour between the hours of 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., Monday through Friday. Um, and then rides are provided um, between 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. So it gives uh, the half an hour to get the rider home um, in time. And the maximum our shuttles can fit are 11 people at a time. Um, and those 11, um, that's if there's no mobility equipment. So if there's any wheelchairs or mobility equipment, that reduces the, the number of people we can the maximum number of people we can fit. But for the most part, we don't like to carry more than six six people at a time because we don't want to keep anyone on the shuttle for longer than you know 45 minutes to an hour at the most. We want to get them to where they need to go um, as soon as we can. Um, so again, this is just kind of my attempt to highlight the cities, city boundaries anyway. So we have Kirkland, Redmond and, and Bellevue. Um, it's part of the east side again. So we, the purpose of the high shuttle, the benefits of it is that uh, we enhance accessibility um, by putting our riders, without putting our riders through a complicated eligibility determination process. So all they have to do is give us a call over the phone and we don't require an application to, um, you know, to confirm or their eligibility. They just have to let us know whether they're over 55 or they have a, a disability. Um, you know, as opposed with access, which which um, is the stringent or the qualifications are quite stringent and you have to, to meet a lot of requirements to qualify with their service. Um, we don't charge for the rides, so the rides are all free. Uh, we, all, we obviously do accept donations. Um, you know, if, if if the rider can can make that happen, we do accept donations um, so that that way we can increase affordability and access for riders who are unable to pay a fare. So if you know, yeah, you, if you don't have any any funds or even if you don't make a donation, that's not going to determine whether you can ride or not. We'll give anyone a ride. We The donation is kind of just the icing on the top. Um, so the service provides customized response times uh, to meet individual needs. So offers short-term pickup windows um, and group rides for people traveling to the same place. So we have a... Um, Every Tuesday and Thursday, sometimes Wednesdays, we have a group trip. Um, everyone, like a lot of people, like to take to uh, North Bellevue uh, Community Center, and so we classify that as a group trip. So we pick up a bunch of people, take them there, and then bring everyone back. So if um, if that's something in, in, in the city of Kirkland at, at the North Kirkland Community Center or any other center in the city, uh, we can definitely schedule that as well, where we can pick up a mass amount of people and, and take them to the same place. Um, so to request a ride, it just has to be a minimum of one day prior um, and a maximum of 30 days in advance. Um, and honestly, this, the, the more um, 
notice you or the sooner you can request a ride, um, the better your possibilities of getting on the shuttle. Um, for right now, the, the possibility is still pretty high just because we, we just recently opened it up to to all um, community members in, in those cities um, before we had just restricted it to the focus groups because we only had one driver. Now we were able to scale up to hire three full-time drivers. We're able to expand it to everyone who qualifies for the service. But yeah, so the sooner you know um, and request a ride, the like more likely you are to to be able to get a ride. Um, so the way um, they like, or we are measured um, for our metrics and achievements. Uh, and when we report our, you know, to the Washington State Department of Transportation, anyway, uh, they look at one-way trips, the miles number or number of miles driven, um, the number of driver hours, and also how high or in our case low um, the denial rates are. Um, and so we, since we've scaled from one to three shuttles, I mean, obviously the numbers have increased accordingly to um, increase the drivers. And um, so right now for three. As soon as we maximize the three drivers, um, which I get to the next slide, then we'll we'll scale up some more to, to where we're trying to get to. So, and thank you to the, again for the partnerships and collaborations on, you know, for HopeLink, um, the CISC, the Chinese Information and Service Center, uh, Jewish Family Services, and also the Indian American Community Services, which um, you know Pran has been a big advocate for this service to happen for quite some time, and um, you know can obviously couldn't have done it with, without everyone's help. Um, again, the future plans. So again, we have three, and once we maximize those three drivers and shuttles, um, we'll scale to four or five, and at the most six. Um, so six is the short-term plan for the two years of funding. Um, but once we maximize those six shuttles, and when we, when I apply for continued funding for the next a few years, um, I'd like to scale that even further. So depending on how many rides we can get that kind of gives us an idea of probably between eight and 12 shuttles, um, you know, for, for, for the whole, for the whole place. So about three shuttles per city. Um, it's kind of, kind of what we're aiming for three to four. Um, again, apply for sustained funding beyond 2025, um, secure additional parking for shuttles. Um, again, thank you uh, for giving us the three spots at, uh, you know, the, North Kirkland Community Center, that was a big help. Uh, before that, we only had three parking spots in Redmond um, in the King County Metro Yard. So having one in Kirkland, because um, we have a couple of our drivers live in the city of Kirkland. So it was a lot more convenient for them to to pick up and drop off their shuttles closer to home as opposed to driving to, to Redmond. So again, appreciate that. And um, again, expanding our fleet. So as we dedicate more shuttles to the east side. Well, um, King County mentioned we have a plan together for them to provide us additional shuttles so we can um, keep the fleet um, and you know spread it out appropriately and healthy with enough shuttles to go around. So yeah, that's kind of just the overview of, of the um, high east side. So I and take any questions if there are any, or? I think Sri has a question. Thank you very much for the presentation, Byron. Thank you, Kevin. Hi, Fern. thank you for that presentation. Also, I wanted to thank you because I know a number of seniors who are making use of the service. So appreciate the 
service that you're providing. Um, I did want to ask you a little bit about your denial rate, you said, is what is that looking like? And, you know, just to get a sense of how much demand is there and how much, how many people are you who want to use your shuttles are you not able to support, you know, based on the current situation? Yes, that's a great question. So um, we aim just program-wide to keep our denial rates under 7%. Um, so right now, program ride, we're at 5.5%. And for the east side, particularly where, only at three three percent denial rate, which um, looks great right now. But to be honest, when we we launched the shuttle, it was about fifteen percent, or the the pilot, it was about fifteen percent. Um, just because we only had one shuttle, but since we were able to scale the the three, the denial rates are really low, and I anticipate them to stay below seven percent, hovering around five percent. Um, again, and if it does climb closer to 7%, um, then that's when I'll work on getting fourth driver out there. So the goal is to keep, you know, the denial rates really low. And for the most part, the denials are for requests that we, um, so the busy travel times are between 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And for the most part, the denials are where we have a request in that time period to somewhere that's kind of outside of where everyone else is going. So kind of that one-off trip. Um, but for the most part, we try to get a taxi if it's a medical appointment or somewhere that's, um, or, you know, nutrition or, or food bank, we do get a, have a taxi to, to get that ride that we can. But for the most part, it's just, it's just a one-off trip that's far out there that uh, it's not urgent. So, and then we, we also rotate the denial. So we won't deny the same person all the time. We make look at their history to see if they've been denied before, and we try not to make that a habit. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, thank you. Uh, anybody? Anybody else has a question? Commissioners. Well, uh, if they, if the rest of the commissioners don't have a question, I do have a question for you, Parham. Thank you very much for that excellent uh, presentation. Uh, thank you for the service that you're giving to the senior community and the people with disabilities. Um, just would like to know uh, how are you advertising or marketing? I mean, uh, how are you letting people know now that your pilot program has successfully completed and you're moving forward with the larger scale? How are you letting people know that you're offering this service so they can take advantage of it? Yeah, that's a that's an excellent question, you know, and one I'm struggling with. Um kind of scaling out. I know we have our our brand ambassador, Dale Hoover, who who goes out and um, you know, does outreach and in, in, in the community. Um, but you know, this is an area where um, you know, I can I can use any help I can get and either with advertising through newsletters that you have or or, or mailings or anything like that. Um, but also um, you know, just attending more community events as well. It was in the plans for 2024. Um, so we just recently expanded it to open to everyone. Um, so I'm still in the early process of spreading the word. So any, yeah, anything. So basically, anything, any ideas will help, especially in how you know we can reach the community, especially in the city of Kirkland. Um, I'll be much appreciated. But for now, um, you know, we ha have to sit down with our new uh, chief programs officer, and because um, she lives out in Kirkland too, and to kind of figure out ways to. Um, to spread out and King County Metro is also a big advocate. They'll 
um, they'll work with us to to spread the word and and send mailers to their the current riders as well that our service has expanded to include everyone now. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I think uh, I see no more questions, right? Yeah, no, I don't see any more questions, but thank you very much for your excellent um, presentation. Thank you very much again for being here tonight and you're welcome to stay, but if you have, uh, if you want to do something else, you're, um, you can go away. Yeah, yeah, you thank you. I, thank I just you want to say, much. yeah, to, to Karen, um, I apologize. If, I'm pretty sure we can help out. Um, just reach out if if you don't have my contact. If you have anyone else, they can hopefully provide you my contact and get in touch. I can definitely uh, get that um, person serviced and give them a ride. So let me know. Yeah, sure. Um, um, the staff are the members of staff are excellent of you know getting people uh in touch and making uh throwing the references. So I'm sure they will be able to connect with you and provide a service to this person that is asking for it. Great. Okay. Thank you again. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you. Okay. So should we go to the next item on the agenda or do you want me to go back? Do we, do we still have quorum or not? I do believe you have quorum now that Gildas is here, so we can go back and, and approve those minutes. Yeah. Um, before. Me... We have a few extra. We finished up a little early, so we have a few extra minutes. Okay, well, uh, now we are moving. I have the motion to approve the January 23rd meetings. Uh, I'll motion, motion to do so. Okay, I will second this, Gildas. Okay, Thank perfect. You. Thank you very much. So we have an extra fast <laughs> approval of the meetings for last session. So um, I think we can move forward to the next um, point in the agenda that we have uh, four business items this evening. It's sorry, a, was there a vote to approve that was Oh, recorded? I'm sorry. I, I forgot that uh, motion yeah. to approve. I think it was already done, but yeah. Sorry. Thank you very much, Christian. I also vote yes. Vote yes. I vote yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So moved. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, everyone. So like I was saying, we have a very packed agenda tonight. Uh, we have four items in the agenda that we need to cover. So if you had the chance to read the package, it's it's a lot of information that we are having ahead of us this afternoon. So bear with us if we need to move along and staff can follow up on any questions as needed because we'll, we'll need to move forward pretty quickly on these topics in order to cover everything. So I'm going to pass it to Jen to start us off on this evening with the first item that is 24. 2026 Human Services Funding Priorities. Thank you, Jen. Thanks, Gabby. All right. Good to see you all this evening. Um, we are back to talk about goals and priorities ahead of the upcoming grant cycle. So I know we dove into this at the meeting last month and through some of the questions. And I think there was a desire to kind of understand how the various moving parts 
um, within the city and part of our larger comprehensive plan, how that funnels down to what our community goal areas are and the priorities. So we're going to take a few steps back from the conversation that we had at last month's meeting. And I'm going to try to give you a 30,000 degree or 30,000 foot view of kind of how this body is really um, supporting the goal of human services as outlined in the comprehensive plan. So I just have a few slides and then we'll open it up to see if there's any questions or discussion. And then we'll briefly revisit the priorities that were outlined at last month's meeting. So um, we are required um, by the state um, to adopt a plan that allows for growth and development that is responsive to community need and is consistent, it has achievable goals in it, and it is affordable. So this comes down from the state. And so where you'll hear this most often thrown around is the comprehensive plan. So we are required um, as part of some of the funding that we're eligible for at the state level to update this plan um, every few years. So right now you may have received at some point a survey or invitation to participate in a focus group or maybe a presentation at the Human Services Commission about the housing and the human services elements. So the planning team holds the comprehensive plan um, and the updates that are in there that we are required to regularly update. So right now we're looking at 2044 updates. So what this document is, and I'm happy to link um, the specific element that outlines um, the overarching goals for human services for the city. I'm happy to link that if folks want to take a look at that element um, as a refresher from the presentation that the planning staff came in and did last year. But it really aims to establish a vision as well as goals and policies and implementation strategies for managing growth, right? So the city is changing regularly and kind of what is our North Star and how do we make decisions in order to kind of track how we are working towards those goals. So, you know, within the plan, you kind of have your standard components. You have the vision statement, you have guiding principles. These are really aimed to be a reflection of each of you and the community that you're part of. So this is meant to be a living document, hence why we're required to do updates. But within the comprehensive plan, there are elements which really guide specific functions at the city in order to make sure that we are making progress on different identifiable areas. So one of those areas is human services. So I'm not gonna belabor this because I know planning staff came in and did a very long conversation um, and presentation on this, but within the comprehensive plan, the human services element really outlines how the city is responding to both individuals and families to make sure that they have access to meeting basic needs. Um, and so this is really within a continuum, and I think we see this in our grant investments, but this can be through grant funding by way of different intervention programs, programs that are focused on prevention, as well as enhancing quality of life. So if you dig into the human services element, what you'll also see is there are some key populations that are called out specifically within the human services element. So You'll see seniors are called out specifically in how we are making investments and conducting activities that are in alignment with supporting seniors. You also see an area for youth 
Um, and so there's very specific activities that are called out within the element that really guide how we're approaching um, supporting staff activities, as well as boards and commissions that serve in advisory bodies um, to council. So how does that kind of trickle down into what you're being asked to do this year? So within the comprehensive plan where um, council has taken it a step further through engagement with the community is identified five community goal areas. So we talked about these at last month's meeting, but these goal areas came from the United Way community goal areas and several cities on the east side in North King County as well as South King County have these included and outlined within their comprehensive plans, within their strategic plans of the belief that all people should kind of be able to achieve based on investments by the city, be able to achieve these five areas. So essentially food and housing, supportive relationships, so fostering a sense of uh, belonging and social connection, being able to get resources if you are fleeing an unsafe situation in the form of domestic violence or sexual abuse, and then healthcare, which includes both physical, mental, and behavioral health, and then finally education and employment. So these community goal areas are really how we report back to the community, how we are making progress on these five areas. So you're familiar with the human services dashboard and we're actually gonna talk about that on the next agenda item, but all of our grants are reported out through the different grant awards that are made within each of these five categories. So if you go onto the dashboard right now, you'll see previous year's investments and the number of organizations and programs and dollar amounts that fall within these categories. So we really use this as a reporting tool to be able to share with the council, with the commission, with the boards, um, and anyone else who frankly is interested in wanting to know um, kind of how we're doing in this area. There's been some kind of refinements over the last couple years through different resolutions and ordinances that have been passed um, at the council level. So. One of the areas that came through resolution 5434 was um, kind of digging a little bit deeper into who we were funding and starting to look at which of these organizations that receive funding are defined as BIPOC organizations. They're BIPOC led, they're BIPOC serving. So this is where you start to see how kind of based on the change in the landscape and community needs, how we're able to evolve to make sure that we are being held accountable for the investments that we're making as a city. So as we start to receive applications, what staff does is we will take the applications and sort them into these five community goal areas. So what we've found in previous years is it's much easier to focus on one community goal area at a time so you can have conversations around the programs and services that fall within that goal area. What we wanna avoid doing is having a really tough conversation knowing that there's limited dollars of, should we fund this shelter program that supports single men or should we support this, um, let's say wraparound services and support for women fleeing domestic violence. We wanna be able to kind of focus in on one area and say kind of, Here's what we have for housing and food. Where do we think there might be duplication of services? Where do we feel like services are able to provide kind of a niche 
in serving a particular population, or it's the only shelter we have in Kirkland for women, things like that. And so it really just allows us to concentrate within each goal area. Um, it makes it a little bit more digestible for the commission. So knowing that you'll most likely be reviewing at least a hundred applications over a very short period of time. So kind of how do the priorities that we started to talk about at last month's meeting fit into the community goal areas and the comprehensive plan that we are talking about? So the priorities that are identified by the commission are, you know, a list that the commission adjusts each grant cycle. And so part of your role as an advisory body to the council is to be able to adapt and have your grant recommendations reflect the changes in community need. So through relying on community needs assessment, like the Hopelik needs assessment that's referenced in your packet, the education sessions that you know we had folks come and attend last year to talk about their program, to talk about who they're serving, to talk about their challenges, and previously funded program data, which you're going to get an update on at the next, um, the next agenda item on uh, the agenda, those pieces of information and data are really aimed to inform the priorities. So the priorities in the community goal areas are not necessarily at odds. The reality is, as we have a limited amount within the budget and the requests for funding will far exceed what exists in the budget. So the priorities are really meant to help guide you make really hard decisions recognizing that you are going to have to say no to agencies that are seeking funding. And it's not because they aren't doing good work. It's because we have a limited amount of dollars available. And part of your role as an advisory body to the council is to outline what are the most pressing needs for the Kirkland community right now. So where the community goal areas fit into this is that's how we report back to the community where those investments went. So what we've seen over the last couple of years is we've seen an uptick in investments for housing, for homelessness, and for behavioral health. I don't think that surprises anyone on this commission. Based on our conversation at last month's meeting, I think we're in pretty strong alignment that those will most likely fall pretty high on the priorities list again. But how we report that out is through the goal areas, and then that feeds back up to the comprehensive plan to take a look at how are we doing and being responsive to the community. So kind of bringing it back down to where we are now. So at the last meeting, this is a draft list and this is in your packet as well, but this is what staff heard in regards to priorities ahead of this upcoming grant cycle. So the first one is a focus on homelessness and affordable housing. So within that we have emergency shelter and any services that are provided on site at shelter. So those are things like employment services, mental health, counseling, case management, things like that. We also have affordable housing supports here. So an example would be Imagine Housing, which is one of the affordable housing developers here on the east side, being able to fund their supportive services program that helps residents who live on site at their properties. And then emergency financial assistance, which really focuses on preventing homelessness in the first place by keeping people in their homes. The second area of priority that the commission identified was access to basic needs. So um, we heard a few things here. So we put a few things under this category. So 
food assistance, healthcare access, um, support and services for domestic violence and sexual assault survivors, and then legal assistance. So what you heard through the commission, you kind of felt like these fell within the basic need kind of category. And I know at the very end, there were questions around we don't have legal assistance on this list. What, you know, we need to put that on there. So we found a way to include that on there, um, hearing that at the tail end of the conversation the last month's meeting. We also heard behavioral health and mental health services um, with a focus on adults, with a focus on youth, as well as prioritizing supports for substance use disorder, as well as treatment services. And then finally, there was an interest in prioritizing programs and services um, for agencies that are BIPOC-led and BIPOC-serving. So really looking at those culturally relevant um, and specific services that are linguistically appropriate, um, recognizing that often these are very unique and tailored to the community because they're designed and created um, by those who are part of that community. So those were the priorities that we heard um, so I want to make sure we have time to get some additional feedback, see if there's any questions, um, but kind of in how you're thinking about this, and I know you haven't received the applications yet, but this is really where it's going to guide making some of those really tough decisions this year. And the community goal areas is just a way and a tool in which we're able to kind of categorize things for you to start and then we really use it as a reporting mechanism back to council and the broader community. So I hope that clarified some of the questions that came up at last month's meeting. I'm gonna see if there's any questions around any of the comprehensive plan, community goal areas, priorities, and if there's any suggested edits or input um, for the draft priorities. And Gildas is here with us. He walked in and I almost got distracted by my presentation. I was like, Gildas is here. I think we have a question there. Go ahead. Can we is can Gildas hear us? I was just waiting for his it says connecting to audio still. So I don't know if you can I think he's connecting to audio. If you speak loudly, Jen's microphone will pick you up. Yeah, I can just take my headphones out if you want. He can hear. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Shane. Uh, so yeah, I actually just First, I want to just say that's a really good, I felt like when we ended the meeting, there were a lot of gaps and things that, you know, we talked about, they were like, okay, we should really be doing these things. And what's, you know, it's concerned about that. So what you put together, I really appreciate this. I, this sounds really, you know, I was as close to what we were talking about as, you know, I could think, so thank you for doing the work um, to all of you for putting this together. Um, what I wanted to, I had kind of two questions. One, I think is, it's good to see this, but if I were to ask myself, how am I going to use this to make decisions? 
have to say that I'm still very, very fuzzy. Um, and yeah, I can come up with some ideas of, you know, corporate stuff that we tend to do, but I don't know that I necessarily want to go there uh, in terms of how do you allocate, how do you prioritize and stuff like that. So I'm curious, what I want to actually ask of people who've been through this before, I guess, Gabby and Jewelry and Gildas, how do we use these priorities to kind of identify how much funds to, you know, for example, how much funds to allocate to the first bucket versus the second versus third? Like, uh, you know, how do we get to that? Or do we not really even think in those terms? And you know, also for staff, I'm just looking to get it, kind of say, this feels good, but then how do we go from here? Bill, this is gonna go first. Or do I speak? I think that it's okay. gonna pick up because we weren't okay, saying so. But they should be able to hear you. Come on over. Yeah, there you go. Can you guys hear me? I'm like, yes, yes. I'm just Jen. <laughs> yep. Um, no, that's a, that's a really good question, Shree. Um, And uh, having been through the last cycle, um, so perhaps I can shed some light. And and I want to caveat my answer is that's what we did last application cycle, but that doesn't mean that we have to follow the same framework. So in the last cycle, we really didn't talk about how much funding per bucket until we really review all the all the applications, right? All 90 of them uh, at the time. And then once we're, we are able to triage the application alignment to our priorities and goals, then we started talking about, so like, let's say from 90, then we cut it down to, let's say like 60 something. I don't know, I'm just making up a number right now. But we're able to cut that application count to something lower, more manageable. Then we start talking about um, for each of the priority areas, what is the, we didn't talk about the exact number. We talk about what is our own internal priorities in terms uh, in coming up with a funding framework. So we, we prioritized um, homelessness shelters and wraparound services around those shelters as our number one priority. So we gave a general framework of like, well, we would try to fully fund their asks. And then we and then we kind of, you know, did that for every single uh, priority area. Then we get kind of gave it to, you know, Jen and her team to kind of work out the numbers and they kind of give us back proposals. So I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a very good use of the commissioner times to really count to the dollars and cents and line it up the the really the productive um, conversation that we should be having is what kind of framework that we should have and then give it to the the, the staff and they do really good job of like just how do, how does the money line up to that to our framework and we we adjusted our framework a couple of times right so like we you know we're like okay well this area seems you know like let's adjust it or let's do the mainstream versus the the um the non-mainstream one so we we had a couple adjustments so and that's okay Right. So um, and at the end, we come up with that. We, we came up with a number. But yeah, that's kind of the, the process we went through um, last time. Yeah. And I think that I'll just say sorry. And I think that part of the issue is we don't want commissioners to focus on the dollars because then it may sway you one way or another. Or you see a program that's really great and you're like, oh, they're asking for one hundred thousand dollars. That's way too much. And so, you know, the, there's no consideration to say, we're not even going to think about it because that's way too much and that's and that's not going to work. So you're just focusing on yes, no, 
and there may be some in, bet in between. And we're going to go into that later. So I don't want you to get too overwhelmed about the process work. We're going to talk about how that works as we move into it. So step by step. Okay, that, thank you, that helps. Uh, can I ask uh, just one more uh, comment? Uh, Sri, last year I was uh, kind of in your position, wondering what was you know going to be the right way or the, the good way or, and actually we went as a team, we, we did it together. And it's like, I would say, compare it like riding a bike, you, you learn by doing it. And also, um, we we know that we have a budget, right? We have a certain amount of dollars, but I think we were creative enough um, staff help us, as Hilda's mentioned, to also present other alternatives. Maybe asking for more money when it was when we thought it was you know very valuable. All the other things that we wanted to include. So I think it's very important, like they say, not to set our minds in one single number because. Last year, we were able to pass more than one proposal to the council. And at the end, uh, we were able to get a little bit, also, I think, more money than what we had on originally on the budget. So have, having that in mind, um, riding the bike would be, I think, the way for us to go and work as a team. And, and I know we'll we'll figure it out together. Any other questions or feedback on the draft priorities that y'all worked through at last month's meeting? Just uh, one other question is, do you, when you look at this, is there, as a question for staff is, did we miss anything major that we tend to fund? Or you feel like this is uh, pretty much covering what we've historically done? Staff is very supportive of the list. And I, I think in your joint meeting with council, they will also have strong alignment with what you've identified. They may ask you, why isn't X on here? And you can speak to that. But overall, I think the behavioral health and the housing are huge priorities for the council. Okay. Thank you. Thank you all. Okay. Any additional questions? Back to you, Gabby. Well, no, it's, I think if we don't have any more questions, but if you think of any other questions down the road, you can always uh, get in touch with it. I think Annie will be the one receiving those questions. Am I right? Yes. So if you have any more questions or follow-ups, please uh, send that uh, to Annie and the next item of the agenda is item B for 2023 agency performance review. And I pass it to Reggie to guide us on that one. Thanks, Gabby. Uh, lots of data, I'll start with that. Um, I've been buried in it for the last month or so. Um, and so just kind of gonna go over it. You have all the information there just to help sort of orient um, what information we've included. Um, in the packet. So um, is that showing up? Okay. 
Yes. Great. Uh, so uh, just to start off, um, so the, the background information that we're sharing with you all, um, we get reports from the agencies both on a quarterly basis and an annual basis. And um, so on a quarterly basis, we get information on um, service units and then also residents served. Uh, and then the annual basis is more overarching. So those are the outcomes um, that we agree on when we do get into contract with these agencies and then also demographics of the um, people that they serve. We also uh, have uh, narratives that agencies will submit. Um, most of the time, it's only going to be one. We only require one, so typically it's going to be one. Um, the exception is when we have organizations whose programs maybe aren't meeting the targets, and it's a way for them to explain to us what's going on. I can give an example of uh, one of the uh, organizations I have worked with um, the Side Services was partnering the one that they're partnering with with the Boys and Girls Club. Um, they did not hire, weren't able to hire somebody until quarter two, so they had no no data, nothing available. But in their narrative, they explained that, so we're aware of what's going on. We try not to be, and I'm, I guess I'm speaking for the team, but we try not to be mean and like, oh, well, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's more of a dialogue to make sure that we just understand. We want to give the money to them. We don't want to keep it for ourselves. So um, so again, if we use this to measure the progress um, towards the goals and outcomes that we agree on. So there's two, um, this was included in your packet, there's two ways that we take a look at the data. The performance tracker uh, is just an internal resource that we have that um, internal being the commission and staff. Uh, we look at the quarterly process or progress on both the service units and resident search. Uh, and then uh, also there's some annual metrics on there with the outcomes. Uh, the dashboard, which I'll talk about too later, that's an external facing, um, I guess, database or whatever you want to call it. Um, that just overviews all the programs that we fund in the different goal areas, uh, how much we fund each of the each program, uh, and then their um, demographic information that they provide to us at the OED. So here's an example. Um, I just pulled one from uh, the how many 70 something that we have in there. Uh, and just to sort of explain really quick, because it, it, it's a, there's a lot of color and a lot of numbers, so I just want to make sure everybody kind of follows along with, with my uh, approach or, I guess, thought pattern and going into this. So for the service units, uh, you can see there's a red, like a red, yellow, green indicator. And how I ca have calculated that is per quarter for the service unit. So, um, and stop me if, if you're confused. Uh, so if, if the annual goal is 120 for quarter one, um, 10 anything under 10 would be considered a red dot, and then yellow would be 11 to 20, and then red would be 21 to 30 for quarter one, and then for quarter two, uh, we would jump up to under 20 for uh, red, and then 21 to 40 for yellow, and then 41 to 60 for the green and so on for each quarter. So it's not a cumulative, it's just per quarter that they're meeting those um, marks that we have. Uh, the resident served, that's just accumulated total. That's not um, based on a percentage per the quarter, it's just again accumulated. Uh, 
and then outcomes, you can see that these are um, agreed upon in our contracts, um, both the cities and well, cities, if they're pulled, or city us, um, if it's not pulled. Uh, and the agencies agree on um, these specific outcomes. Sometimes there's one and there can be up to three. It just depends on, on what's mutually agreed upon at the time of our contracting process. Okay, um, and then I spoke a little bit earlier about, um, I'm sorry, Sri, you have a question real quick? Yeah, can you go back to the goals one? Sure. Just wanted to make sure I got understood this correct. Um, so what this goal column that like, I'm gonna talk about services provided, there is a goal at the end, like in this example, it says case management 193. Should I read that goal as, Basically, whatever, you know, 193, you know, they're meeting somebody, 193 is is the number they're targeting for each quarter. Is that how I should think about it? And so you're comparing uh, the, the 160 to 193 and then saying it's green. Is that how you're doing it? Or Yeah, so 193 is the total for the whole year. And so um, so if you look at the, the target for quarter one would be uh, whatever, a 25% of 193 would put you in the green category. Does that make sense? And then for quarter two, it would be up to 50% would be a green category. I, I see. Explaining that. Okay. And and then for, I got that. So for residents then, is it the same way? Because if the goal of that's 187 just, is for a whole year, then... Yeah, that's just that? a cumulative, cumulative total. So what is, is, there's a goal 187 for residents. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and you have like 64 is orange. So it says that you expected that number to be higher. Is that how I should think about it? Yeah. So this one, the, the tracking for this, we did a little bit different. It's not per quarter. It's accumulated total. So you see it gradually gets green towards the green as the, as the quarters go on. I see. Okay. Okay. That explains something because many of the things I was seeing a lot of reds in Q1 and Q2, which made me, and I was thinking that meant that there was a big ramp up or something, you know, for these, you know, because it's a new funding and they're trying to figure it out. But that's right. not what I should right. make from there. It's more that yeah. it's that it's going to be red early on and then it's going to get to green as we go over the course of the year. Yeah, and, and it's something that when we are doing the, not when the, necessarily with the pool contracts, well, we do that a little bit too, but we focus more on the non-pool contracts. So we want to make sure that we're, they're meeting those service units that we agreed upon. Um, and so this is a measurement that we can do when we pay out for every time they invoice us each quarter. Okay. Okay, okay thank you. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, and then I mentioned earlier a little bit about the narratives. Um, we have a whole bunch and thank you to Annie for helping me. I was trying to go through all this and I was overwhelmed after looking at all the numbers and then trying to go through the narratives. Um, she was nice enough to help me um, pick out um, 11 um, samplings within the different focus areas that you all have identified. Um, last time we did, or last year that we did this, there was really some really clear trends with the impacts of COVID um, and um, the, the salary and, and though some of the commissioners have been on a while, we've had that discussion about salaries for nonprofit um, um, professionals. And it's a challenge to keep people um, on employed with an agency. And just sort of looking broad stroke, that still is an issue that the agencies are facing. So staffing, keeping people on for a period of time and a lot of that 
work that's done um, is dependent on relationships that, that the staff has with their clients. And sometimes when people are changing a lot, that can cause some issues with trust and um, regularity and that sorts of things. Uh, another thing that I um, saw that came up a couple times was finding uh, permanent long-term housing for individuals. Sometimes that's been quite a bit of a challenge for um, agencies such as Friend of, Friends of Youth and um, some of the or other organizations that are working towards um, providing or finding permanent housing for their clients. Uh, so this is just a, a quick snapshot of what the dashboard looks like. Um, as Jen mentioned before, right now what's live is um, up until, well, I can't remember what year we started. Anyway, it's up till 2022, the data is in there for that. Um, and I'm working on updating um, for the 2023 uh, database. Uh, so this is what it looks like. The main landing page uh, just gives an overview snapshot of all the agencies, all the um, clients that they served. A couple of things to note, and thank you, Gabby, for looking very closely at the data. There's some things that don't necessarily always match up. And uh, so some agencies don't report on anything or everything. They report on some and not others. So the numbers sometimes don't match up. Uh, so what's what you'll see in the, the numbers presented in, in the packet and on the data in the um, dashboard, that's just what they gave us. Um, and I tried really hard not to look too closely into it because it make, would make me go crazy. It's like this column is not matching this column, but that's what we have and that's what we work with. Uh, so each of these um, uh, rectangles here at the bottom are tabs that will go into the different the five different goal areas. And I'll show you uh, all a quick example of um, the I did the communities and schools one again. So we have the we for this year um, uh, we added the the housing disability and English proficiency tabs, those weren't on there before. These are optional reporting categories for agencies. So again, the, uh, the data is not necessarily consistent. Some just choose not to, some will report on some of them and not the others, um, but it, it, they, we still ask them to do it. So it seems only fair that we include this information on the dashboard too. Um, so race, those are top for the race information, sorry, that's wrong. I'm sorry that showed up wrong. It's showing housing status, but you'll get an idea of what it looks like. Um, so then we had, and I apologize, it's not working here. Annie, I tried to do my animation all great and it's not working. So anyway, you'll see every time there's tabs that go across and you'll click on the tabs and it will show the data for each of these different um, categories. And I really apologize that it's not working properly. This one did. Um, so here, this one was disability, the one previous was housing, and then um, we have English proficiency um, as the last one. And many apologies for that not working. And unfortunately, because I haven't um, gotten through everything, the live the page isn't available live to you know click here to to check it out. But I'm hoping in the next week or so that that should be ready to go. Um, it's just like, again lots and lots of information to to process. So any questions? There's no questions. I also want to add something that um, Gabby had, um, we exchanged some um, messages earlier today. 
there's several uh, agencies that will, or the entries will say no data or no information. Uh, that's because we hadn't received anything from them. That's typically what happened. Uh, and there are some cases where uh, the their data collection didn't match up with what we were asking for. And we meaning the consortium, this is, we don't necessarily control all of these categories. We just are part of the, the greater system. Um, so an example I used was the Noticias program, um, the, the Spanish translation videos for this Bellevue School District, Lake Washington. Um, their data points are uh, hits on Facebook. And so we don't necessarily know what the demographic, any of the demographic data um, are on that. So they can just say, we had this many you know, views on this video. Um, and it, yeah, it didn't, it's apples and oranges type of situation. And Sri, you had a question? Yeah, I, so one question, couple of questions. So one is when it says funded, like you showed the thing which is funded 2023 or even the total that you showed, it says 2023, but I'm understanding that's for both 2023 and 2024. Is that correct? Or have we divided the number as half, half? So the total funding is 2.37 million times two for the two years, or is the total funding, uh, 2.37 million. And so even though it says 60, like the example is just 60,000, is it for two years or one year? That would be for one. So the actual, so like that summary table that you showed for 2023, so the funding cycle for the two-year funding cycle, the allocation by Human Services Commission was actually for about 4.7 million. Is that correct? And so that's broken down into about 2.35 across each 2023. Yeah. Is that how I should understand it? Yes, yep. Got it. And the, the other question is I wanted to ask in terms of performance stuff is, I don't, I'm sure we don't have time in this meeting, but how much time and how much time does it make sense to look deeper into these numbers and kind of look at some of the scorecards and have more pointed discussions on these things? Or is that something we will do as part of kind of the allocation decisions and all that stuff? Is that a better time to do it? I, I'm just trying to just ask, I, just, I don't want to, you know, I, there were some things I looked at in the number and they just popped to kind of say, okay, something here looks a bit weird. So I don't know if now is the time to talk about it or we should kind of table that for later. Are we tabling it? I would say just in my um, kind of review of all the stuff there, and I looked, when we didn't get information or something didn't seem right, um, I either one of us staff people would reach out to the agencies to try to get a story behind it. So there's there's lots of stories between each of the, the issues or um, you know inconsistencies that we found. So it would take a long time to go through. So an example where um, with congregations for the homeless, you'll notice that there is no data for them. They don't have anything for us. They had a change in um, their their reporting data systems that they had. And so their numbers got really screwy. Um, yeah, so each one will have different um, different stories, I guess is the best way to explain it. So, so, the, so the, maybe the question is, so I, I know staff monitors said, I mean, would you, like when we are having discussions, is it reasonable for us to expect that you will say, hey, you know, these agencies, we have some issues with getting data, you know, these agencies, they're having some difficulty you know, providing the services because of staff issues, whatever. Is there a way for us to get a summary so we kind of 
are a little bit more informed about it yet yeah? and you know on an ongoing basis maybe once a quarter or something or once you know once maybe twice a year or something like that just so we kind of have a sense of what's going on because it is a lot of data and i have to say my eyes glazed over at some point when i was looking through that stuff so i just that's why i just wanted to ask how would you recommend we kind of you know spend our time and energy on this data if you have specific questions, I'd recommend emailing Annie and she can always send that question to the contract lead. So Annie, Amanda, and Reggie are leads based on the different areas of focus for the contract. So they can provide specific answers to your questions. During the grant review process, staff will be able to speak to agency performance and talk about some of those nuances. The other thing staff will look at is, let's say we funded an agency at a certain service level and they submit a new application for a higher service level, um, but with less dollars or vice versa. And so what staff would do um, ahead of bringing it to the commission for review is try to get those answers ahead of time um, to try to anticipate those questions. You'll also receive a lot of emails from Annie saying, as questions pop up as you're reviewing the application, send them our way so we can get answers ahead of the meeting. So that's really the role of staff is to do that heavy lifting ahead because you have such limited time as a group. And that will be shared out to everybody too. So if one, Gabby asked me a question, then that answer and that question will go out to everybody. So we're not having a big conversation over email. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Thank I, you. I think Shree's question kind of addressed my point of well, but I just want to clarify, like the dashboard will be available for us as we're going through allocation decisions. So for example, if I'm looking at YWCA and I'm like, oh, look at their measurement for outcomes. One of them didn't hit their target rate. Oh, I, and we'll know that going into allocation decisions. So that'll factor into next year's decisions or this year's whatever this particular year's decisions right so like we can factor that in and then that's where if there are questions we can ping the staff and figure out like what's going on if there's something behind it okay cool okay thank you so i um my, my comment uh really great question uh shri and christian um i think one thing that i would love to also have staff feedback on this year on the application is if there's any application that you're seeing where their demand for the service is like very very like highly de in demand like that means they blow through the service you know units that that they're contracted for i think i that would be a valuable piece of information for us uh, to understand kind of the demand the demand side of the equation Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Yeah. We have some we have some awards where they'll hit their service unit goal in the first quarter. And the numbers we receive based on what the city awarded, they they're they're bloated in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And you'll say, Oh, we awarded them five thousand dollars and they hit seven thousand <laughs> percent of their goal. Should we adjust their goals? that are more in alignment with what that award is. Because if it is a $5,000 award, they are going to hit that quicker than an award that's six figures, right? So mm -hmm. that's something we can look at. Just a quick question is overall question of staff based on the assessment, no red flags for us 
from kind of the agencies you've been tracking, anything that you'd want to call out for us to say, hey, you know, you know, and again, I'm not trying to blame agencies or try to, it's just more to understand the context of maybe what are the challenges, because some of them, the narrate, the the narrations were actually helpful, like, you know, the staffing challenges, for example, or some of those things, it kind of gets helpful to get some context for that. I'm just, just an ask, it doesn't have to be right now to say if there is a way to just get a little bit more insight into, you know, any background information on these agencies that would be helpful for us to be aware of as we're evaluating their applications, you know, so I think that would just be a, an ask of staff. Yeah, I think, I think that's great feedback. And one of the things that we're throwing around is essentially like a very brief staff report that addresses that to go with applications. So you have some of that information as you're reviewing it. So we will be very mindful if there are agencies that have not performed well, um, we will be very intentional in how we share that information out, recognizing that this work is really difficult and there are some agencies that have just not performed. And so we will share that in this space um, because it should be part of the consideration in making recommendations is past performance. Yeah. That information is it's critical, Jen. Thank you very much for offering that. And thank you, everybody, for your questions and the comments. And thank you very much, Reggie, for putting all these numbers together. It's a titanic um, task. And kudos to you, because uh, it, it was somehow very, uh, it was a, a, a task for us to read, but I cannot imagine to put all that data together. Thank you very much for all that work. And I think if we don't have any more questions, remember that you can always send uh, Reggie any additional questions that you might have on these uh, perform agency performance review on that. So please do so if you feel like you need further clarification or any point. And I think if you're okay, we will pass to the next uh, item in the agenda that is a sales-side funds presentation. And I give it to Annie and Jen to guide us to that part of the presentation. Hey, Gabby, I just had one more thing to add on the last one. This is more a, and this is more awesome. a for you, Reggie. Uh, I'm kind of a data geek myself. I have to tell you, I kind of use some of the public data to put together a Power BI report, and I'm happy to sit down with you and show you some of the analysis and stuff that was some interesting things. So I'll just do, do that as a separate follow. But at data, you know, it was a lot of manual effort to copy that data off the web of the dashboard, but I try to do that, and it's there's some interesting stuff that came out of that. So just just a plug for, again, what Gabby said, it's awesome to have this data. Thank you for doing it. Thank you, Sri. Uh, if we have, uh, I think, no further comments. Uh, Jen, Annie, we can jump in. What do we do now? Oh, we can see it. Okay, I'm going to tee up, um, kind of set a grounding for this conversation before passing it off to Annie. Um, and also give some additional background for some of the newer commissioners. So 
And the idea of set aside funding is something that is a fairly new strategy that the commission has used the last few grant cycles. So for 21-22, there were some designated um, buckets of money that were set aside to support um, the indigenous communities um, in Kirkland, as well as um, the Latinx community, specifically around family engagement. And in this most recent grant cycle and the one that we're currently in, there were two set-aside buckets, um, one for Black and African-American communities and the other for Indigenous communities. So this is something that has come up um, as part of kind of the tail end of the recommendations process. And so what it kind of looks like in its final form is you have um, the grant asks and the recommendations from the commission. Um, and then essentially money that remains unawarded, but is part of the grants budget. And so um, what kind of is directed by having those buckets is to identify specific programs, services, organizations that kind of achieve and very specifically support those communities. So this is something we've talked about a lot is how do we intentionally and mindfully um, make sure that we have funding that is able to support communities that historically have experienced a lot of barriers when it comes to accessing services that they feel like um, are relevant, um, whether that's linguistically through language, whether it's, you know, being able to connect with a case manager that has shared experience with them. And it's something that staff has really struggled in finding appropriate organizations and programs that fit these priorities. And so we came to the commission um, in January of 2023 after the 23-24 recommendations were approved with some recommendations to support um, kind of the desired set aside goals. And um, we received feedback from the commission um, to go back into the community and get additional input because the commission felt like um, they didn't have enough information in order to confidently move forward with one of the recommendations. And so staff has struggled over the last year in engaging in conversations that have produced something that feels like it's really in alignment with the intent of these buckets. And we've met with several community leaders that identify and are part of these um, populations that have been identified. And a lot of the feedback that we've received is, you know, when you look at the makeup of the Kirkland population, this is a very small portion. And a lot of folks that identifies this actually access services and programs within a lot of the organizations that the city already funds. And so one of the challenges, I think, in trying to kind of meet the desire of the commission is also recognizing that if these funds remain unspent, they're actually dollars that are being left on the table and there is over two and a half million dollars of grant funding that we denied for the last grant cycle. And so one of the challenges that we've talked about is we wanna be mindful, we wanna be responsive to how this money you know, was intentionally set aside. And also we have not made a lot of progress and that's not you know, because of staff expertise or willingness. A lot of the feedback is 
you, you know, there were a lot of organizations and programs that, you know, you were not able to fund. Can you look there? Um, and so I think one of the things that we are looking at, recognizing that we're coming to um, the end of the budget year, which is 2024, is kind of the optics for council. So for the last two budget cycles, um, the set-aside dollars have not been fully expended. They weren't fully expended in 21-22, and to date, zero dollars have been awarded or expended for 23-24. So in thinking about the, um, I'm going to say inevitable one-time funding ask to council, if there's dollars that are not spent within the existing budget and the commission is asking for additional one-time funding, um, there might be um, pushback from the council because it wasn't fully expended. And so um, kind of how staff are approaching it tonight is, We've heard what you've said um, through over the course of the last year around really trying to understand like, what are the needs? Like, what is the data? We are presented with this huge challenge um, in being able to, you know, award dollars when the request for dollars far exceeds what we're able to award. And so knowing that and knowing that we still have this chunk of money that is sitting and has not been awarded, um, and we have not, you know, kind of received any specific asks or received any feedback in our conversations. And this is our role as staff is to really be able to dig into this and bring it back to the commission as subject matter experts. We really don't feel like there's something that's in alignment with us. And for those who are on the commission, you also know that staff, you know, had some concerns about this when it was first brought forward to the commission. So with that said, um, Annie's going to walk you through some recommendations that we have. Um, we're not asking for a vote this evening. We're asking for input and feedback that's going to inform how staff chooses to use the dollars in the remainder of this year. So um, that's something that is within our discretion. Um, this is an advisory body. The dollars were already approved. They're in the budget. And so we want to be really mindful that we don't hit the end of this year and have $40,000 um, of funds that we will lose, um, especially when there are so many applications that remained unfunded. So with that, um, I'm going to pass it off to Annie to walk through um, kind of some of the revamped recommendations that we have um, before we open it up um, for input. Cool. Thanks, Jen. So <clears throat> We really looked at what you all said at our last meeting and taking that into account. Um, and of course, this is a tentative list, but I think we all agree these are gonna be overarching themes anyway through our process. So in considering that, sorry, my vision is really bad here. There you go. One of the assets come through and, and when we're considering um, really expanding uh, the the reach to BIPOC communities, by and for um, organizations. Um, one of the partners that we've worked with quite uh, a bit and quite closely, and they do really great work, is King County Promotoras Network. Um, in 2020, they had uh, done a community assessment within the Latinx community um, for the city of Kirkland. And that was um, 
my my Kirkland Latino or um, um, sorry, there's some feedback and it sounds a little weird on this side. Um, so that was a really great report that came um, with a, a priorities list, right? So they did this work over two years um, um, with, with a lot of challenges because of, of COVID. They did an amazing job. Um, even with, with COVID going on, they were able to do outreach into the community. Um, from, from that priorities list, Platicas and Novedades, which is um, translated to, um, and Gabby, don't you judge me on this, <laughs> is translated to conversations and news. And so this really reaches um, Spanish-speaking community members on a virtual platform. Um, this is not necessarily a new program. They've been doing this work um, and have been partnering with other organizations like For Tomorrow, um, in the community to provide platforms to have conversations that are timely, that are urgent, um, and uh, have done a lot of good work um, getting information out to Spanish-speaking community members. Um, what they are, the ask is um, they'd like to proceed with this um, program this year and provide eight sessions to the community. Um, their ask is approximately $7,000 in budget. Part of that I mean, provides a, a, a living wage for those folks who are providing those services. So the promotoras, um, someone to uh, oversee that process and also additional um, outreach folks to get out in the community and let people know that this is a thing that's happening. Um, they're also providing gift cards to the community members who are participating in these conversations. So this is the first one. Um, kind of like for us, it's like this This really is in alignment with a lot of the work that we do, providing cultural and linguistically um, responsive programming to the community to get them important information. And we know that the community is asking for this because that's what the survey said. That's what the, the work that the promotors did, KCPN, um, that's what they told us. And so that brings me into our second item that we want to talk about and that is a community uh, needs assessment. So we are, <laughs> there is there is a ooh in the background, sorry. Um, so we are the only city uh, on the east side who hasn't had, who doesn't have a current um, community assess, community needs assessment. So, um, so staff is uh, hoping that, that that is the direction we'll take why a community needs assessment? Well, it really informs all the work that we'll be doing over the next three to five years. I mean, best practices every three years, we're doing a, a, a new needs assessment. And especially with a city like Kirkland, that's changing like um, uh, astronomically, where our community is evolving and we're seeing lots of the Brazilian community, Portuguese speaking folks, has grown um, and was something that we really didn't talk about a few years ago. And now, you know, there are lots of organizations serving this population within our, our city. Um, impacts the, the, the funding for nonprofits. This is going to inform the work that we do, um, at least in the next cycle uh, coming up in two years. And that data can also be used by other uh, departments in this city. So it's not just us. And other cities may look to our, our data for that. We certainly do that with 
uh, HopeLink, uh, with Bellevue, other organizations and cities that do the work. And it really creates and strengthens uh, the relationships that we have in the community. This is something that they've been asking for, organizations have been asking for, community has been asking for. And we've seen so much success with KCPN and the work that they did in the Latinx and Spanish-speaking community. And we hope that part of this, um, the, the, bigger, the bigger thing we get from this is, is trust building, right? So that the community sees, hey, they really care about what we are, are needing and asking for. Um, and it's gonna be uh, led by community. So what's gonna be different about this? Um, like I said, centering community and then not just those organizations and those agencies, but those people that are receiving services. And we're hoping to, re to really utilize those relationships that we've already worked so hard to um, establish and to nurture. And um, we've learned so much from those relationships as well and how um, we can continue to learn to work in community to walk alongside community members and to really center them in all that we do. Co-creation, I hear from one of my mentors, Gabby, you know, um, Mercedes uh, with KCPN and co-creation is, is the center of the work that they do. And um, KCPN has also led the um, Kirkland Health and Wellness Fair over the last three years, so, and going into the fourth. So they're really um, a great model for that work. And we want to include community in the process. And, and lastly, we really want to utilize our staff um, in this process as well. I, I don't know that we quite um, have talked about the vast knowledge and expertise that we have in the staff. And I'm not tooting my horn. I'm, I'm talking about Jen's background. I'm talking about Reggie's background and Amanda's background. Um, this is work that we have done, and so hopefully we can help support that process. Um, however, that is, you know, um, really coming up with a, a framework to be used for this. So with that, I would rather have a conversation, and I'm going to open it up to the commission if you have any questions or comments. I'm going to add one thing before we jump into discussion, I think, to to really bring it back to kind of the intent of the set-asides, one of the things that, and this was underlying and everything Annie was talking about, but it allows us to really connect with those specific community members that fall within those identified groups and really meaningfully through an organization, through focus groups, through survey data, through word of mouth, hear directly from them what it is that they need and it can help inform the tough decisions that you have. And we have heard you loud and clear that it's something that you really need and you are not the only body at the city that is requesting this. So it may feel like it's bigger than the intent of the set-asides, but we do feel like it really addresses the intent of the set-asides at a much more upstream, um, long-term way that really allows this group to have the impact that those set-asides were desiring to have. Um, and so just to kind of connect it back full circle to kind of the intent of those buckets and how we see that fitting in here. Um, so I, I would say, I mean, I, I was, I was, talking to Jen kind of off on the side, like, yes, <laughs> community needs assessments. Uh, you know, I think I, I, I've been 
in the commission long enough that we keep asking for it and 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 I think this data would be absolutely wonderful. I I think one of my question and then one of my question and uh, I'll have a question first and I have comment. So one of my questions that I have is I understand how it ties back to our you know like the intent of this set aside bucket from a from you and and we all understand there's an optics you know to this unused um funding um how do you think about optics around using this bucket money where it's supposed to be a direct service um now we're doing more quote unquote more administrative you know even though it's very valuable information um, I certainly understand why, you know, the, the value that it will bring for, you know, not only for, for our, you know, uh, this upcoming application process, but for other departments as well. What do you think one, like, so the, uh, the question is like, what do you think the optics for the council and asking like, Hey, what did you do with, you know, with these, with these dollars? Uh, and then my other comment is, uh, absolutely supportive with the Palmatars, uh, network and their ask. And I think, I think we, we can certainly, you know, that seems like we fit in that budget. I think that is an intention, right? BIPOC and very underserved, you know, um, populations. Yeah, so I think to answer your question, I don't know how council will receive the information. So, so this group knows we have put in a service package as part of the budget process for the last um, so there's two opportunities to submit um, what we call a service package. So during kind of the creation of the new budget and then what we call the mid-buy. So halfway through, because our budget is two years. Um, and we have not received funding for any assessment five times. Mm. Um, so I would like to think that it's a way of recognizing the constraints of funding and also knowing what this body needs to make decisions that feel like it's in alignment with what community needs which I think they would understand and they are supportive of a needs assessment. It just has not received funding when faced with all of the things that are important and that need to be prioritized at the city. So um, I don't know, um, but depending on the feedback that we get tonight, that would be part of the conversation um, with city leadership as well as council. And, and I think I missed one of the points because it was hiding behind the 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 pictures of folks. But um, I want to make it clear that this is not an ask for um, community and organizations to um, give us free labor. I think it's important that we also provide um, compensation for that. I don't know how that what that would look like, but that would be one of our priority. Um, areas of like how we do that work because I think often we come with the ask um, and I think it's important to show community how much we value them and their expertise about what the needs are what the gaps are who they are and their identities within our greater community I think uh, Sri, uh, you have your, your hand raised first. So if you wanna go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, I think um, I'm a big, definitely very supportive of saying, hey, 
especially this needs assessment is a more personal way to connect with the community, not just, you know, a bunch of digital surveys that they go online to a website and fill it out, you know, which, you, and when you do that, you don't really connect with the community, but if this is done in a way where you're actually talking to members and saying, what do you need? And, you know, here are some things, give us your feedback, you know, and then I can definitely see it as being very meaningful. So I think this goes to how we do it matters also. It's not just kind of a, uh, you know, uh, an email that goes out of somebody kind of thing. But that being said, my question is, is this something that would have to go through like an RFP process and other kind of stuff before it's so that somebody can do this work? Uh, or is this something, I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit more sense about the logistics of how this would be executed on. And also, is this, it doesn't, for a, I don't know, multi-year needs assessment, 33,000, which is what I think is left aside after that 7,000, feels like a small amount. So I was just going to ask whether, you know, what the thinking behind how we're going to make this happen and or, or are there going to be some gaps and we'll just have to live with the gaps, you know, because this cannot, this there is enough funding to a extremely thorough kind of needs assessment. So I just wanted to get a perspective on that. I'll start and Annie can pick up um, any gaps I have, but um, we are currently looking at if we would contract with someone, if we would do some of it in-house, so we're not sure. So a little bit of TBD, um, we would most likely get input from several stakeholders before making that decision. I think to your point, being mindful that we're not hiring a consultant that's just sending out a survey. And we think that that's sufficient to really get the information this group needs to make funding decisions. Um, and we would most likely use this dollar amount as leverage to secure additional funding because we're not starting at zero and making the ask. We would be starting at 40,000 and making the ask. We're also in conversations with other jurisdictions that are interested in doing a needs assessment. So we could potentially um, hire collectively, which tends to save a little bit on the resource side. Okay. So, and I think the timeline for this is probably like, just give, I mean, of course it's not for this current funding cycle. I get that, but I'm just saying like in terms of timeline, is this kind of like take 12 months, 18 months, 24 months? Like what's the general, given that we're still early on the plan, you don't actually have a, you're still working out a plan, right? So. I would say 12 to 18 months. I don't see anybody else's hand raised. Um, can Jory, I? Jory, I see Jory's hand. Oh, I I couldn't see Jory. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm being sneaky like that. I um, I'm at a Starbucks, so hopefully you don't hear too much music or noise in the background. So, um, a couple questions that uh, were brought up in uh, private conversations, so not naming names, was what will a needs assessment bring to the City of Kirkland that uh, we wouldn't have otherwise. And I think that's been discussed, but just having a list of like specifics would help. When I was asked, I was a little caught off guard and wish I could have a better answer. Cause for me, it was trying to explain like, how, how do I tell you what I don't know or what we don't know? Um, but the gist of the answer is like, well, it'll help us give you more substantial data to justify uh, 
decisions that we make and stand up to criticism. Uh, that was my response, but I'm sure there's more that we've discussed tonight and in general that could help out. Um, another uh, thing that was brought up was would the uh, Human Services Commission be willing to fund it through the grant cycle process to set aside um, and part of the allocation towards it? And I'm not sure how that conflicts with what staff has been discussing tonight, but that was just something I want to, to be transparent and put on people's radar that should that be a decision we have to make for whatever reason uh, that was discussed and um, just to think about maybe. It, I mean, it, it is an option. So, and I think that's something that we could discuss at a later date once you have a better sense of what your recommendations look like. I think council would be supportive of it. Um, they may also, as you know, say, well, we want to fund this, but we don't want to take away from grant funding. So we're just going to pull money from here and fund it through this. Like they have discretion to do that at that last year with the health fair, right? So um, I think there's several options, um, but we really want to just get kind of initial reactions to this because it it is a pretty significant pivot. Um, it achieves, I think, the the goal, but in a in a little bit of a different way. But I think when we look at demand of city dollars and how much the landscape has changed in the funding cliff that many cities are looking at with the COVID money going away, I think it frankly demands being strategic and innovative and in how you're using dollars to get the information you need to serve the city and the residents in a meaningful way. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't discourage because it feels different. Um, I actually think our council enjoys um, thinking outside of the box. So, and again, that's just my staff perspective, um, but I found them to be really, really supportive of how to use city resources. Yeah, and you're also preaching to the choir. I don't think you're gonna find anyone in this meeting that's arguing against it. Um, yeah, that's that's all I got. Gabby, do you want to go next? Uh, thank you, Yuri. Well, I just um, would like to congratulate uh, staff for this thinking out of the box um, proposal of the needs assessment, uh, especially with the focus of on having going directly to the community and ask them or ask the community for feedback because I think that would have a different um, way of being received by council. Uh, it is not just a, a maybe just a, a not, not nothing against the people that do this job, but you know somebody that like they say we'll take a survey and fill it out and let's go. Uh, we are talking about uh, establishing a connection with the community and maybe having more than one partner involved in this effort. Uh, I don't know how. Your, your, or at least that's that's the way I, I'm, I'm assuming this, and maybe you're still trying to figure it out and put it all together. And another thing is, um, I think it's very important of the timing because if we leave this to the next cycle of funding, then that that will roll over until the next uh, budget. So it's it's if we start now, we can at least have our foot on the door to start this 
this uh, uh, work that it, I think it's really, really important. So I am I am 100% that uh, for the needs assessment. Thank you very much for, for bringing that up. And I'm going to abstain for the other one because I'm a member of the organization that you're doing the other proposal. But thank you very much for bringing that this to us tonight. It's it's something surprisingly good and positive. And I think I have uh, Sri has another question. You just on this, I heard you, Jen, start saying, and Annie saying, we're not looking for a decision from us. So I'm just trying to understand. So so we've given you input. So the commission has not made a decision on going down this path. Is that correct? And that will be a future. At some point on the future, we will again meet and have a discussion and make a decision. Or uh, is it based on some follow-up that you'll go and come back to us? I'm just trying to, you know, the thing I care about is, I think we all care about is, Let's not leave the money on the table, right? So, so we want to have a plan for this. So, I just want to kind of understand how we're going to get there. Yeah. So, we're just asking for input. Staff is going to make a decision since the funding has already been allocated within the budget. We're going to make a decision at the staff level. So, um, if you have additional input or feedback or concerns, send it our way. We will note it. Um, but yeah, just giving kind of the urgency and we're in March, we want to make sure that those funds are activated, especially ahead of your upcoming grant recommendations to council. And I also want to be clear, though we're bringing this forward, this idea comes from organizations like KCPN, um, like small community organizations who do amazing, amazing work and have informed, have educated, had humble, have humbled me and, and my team um, in many amazing and great ways. So um, I, I want to give credit where credit is due, and that's all community. Like, none of this happens without community. It's not us. We just make it happen, hopefully. We, we try to make it happen and, and leverage our positionality in the city. Thank you, Annie. Thank you very much for your comments. Um, Sri, do you have your, your hands again raised or is that from the previous? Okay. All right, then. Is there anyone else that would like to add like a com like final comments on this so we can close this item for tonight and move forward or do we have anyone else? One, two, three, so okay. So we can um, pass to the next item of the agenda. That is uh, the March meeting and equity training dates. And I think Annie and Jen are going to lead us on that as well. Um, and please go ahead and take, take the lead. Yeah, I think this one is pretty straightforward. Um, I sent out a reminder. We just need to figure out, we have a date for our joint, um, the city's equity training, which is um, historically something we've done leading into the grant review process. Um, so it'll be this year, it'll be Redmond, Kirkland, Issaquah, and Sammamish. We'll be all meeting at, Redmond has um, 
very graciously um, offered to share their space with us at City Hall. And we'll be meeting there on March 25th, which is a Monday. And that'll be from 6.30 to 8.30, an organization called Communities Rise, who came to our meeting just a few months ago and, um, and shared uh, a report, I think that was just in January, a report out on the cohort that they um, had just recently in Bellevue. So they're going to lead that equity training or workshop with for us. I think the question is, then when do we do our regular scheduled meeting? And you have three options. Option number one is keep it the same, which is on the 26th. I think the benefit to that, and this I'm just sharing this as, as also my previous commission hat on, um, is that it's really um, a good opportunity to have that fresh in your mind um, for the debrief, um, the, the next meeting. So March will be um, that March meeting we can do a debrief. Um, the right the day after. Um, and so that would be really helpful. So that's the first option. We keep it the same date, March 26th from 6.30 to 8.30, um, and it would be virtual. And then the additional two are uh, March 13th, which is a Wednesday, or March 14th, which is a Thursday. And so I guess, Gabby, you would all um, have the conversation. It's all up to you now. Well, anybody would like to start? Well, if, if not, can I just go ahead and share my preference? Uh, I would not be able to participate in uh, in the March uh, 14, if that's the what everybody else decides. So, I can do all the other options, but March 14, I'm not available to attend. The other times I'm, I can make myself available. And the other question is that the, the thing on the 21st, 25th, the training is, is um, we have to be there, right? It's not by Zoom. Or is it, uh, is it virtual? My understanding is there is gonna be a virtual option ah, provided. Perfect. Okay. I don't know if that has been confirmed yet. Yeah, but we are um, asking as many as you can to attend in person. There will be breakouts that are, will be difficult to manage virtually, and I don't think you'll get the same benefit out of it. And, and I, I'm not sure if anybody who is currently on this commission has been through an equity training in person. Um, I've been through two. And I do agree that it's really beneficial to be in person, to have those conversations if you're able to be there um, and talk to other folks in other cities. So there will be food if that helps. Um, we'll have great snacks. I'll make sure of that. Um, like, okay, so the only thing that I have is that I'm actually traveling the last week of March because of, um, a friend's wedding. So unfortunately I would be unable to make it to the, to the training. Um, I could definitely make, make it on the 13th and 14th, um, if we want to meet, uh, as a commission. Um, so 
I mean, given the constraints that have been laid out, maybe the 13th makes the most sense. I'm okay with any of the options so far. I'm okay with any of the options too. I mean, I have a mild preference to keep it after. I like any suggestion of a debrief kind of thing. But mm. that being said, if this gets us kind of more of a quorum to <laughs> important discussions, yeah. that's pretty good with moving yeah. it to a, earlier in the month. I think selfishly, definitely, I would want, I would love to attend. You know, thirteen and fourteen. But I but I think for the good of the commission, pro I do agree with Annie's you know comment that. You, we really should have it on the 26th because I, I do remember at the last, after the last equity training, we had a lot of robust conversation around like how we set up our funding framework. Um, so um, so I, I would recommend the commission to continue to meet on the 26th. And um, if there is a quorum, of course, like if there's a quorum issue, then you know, like, then I think we can move it. So I think that's probably my recommendation that um, 26 would be the first option, assuming that we can confirm quorum, and then we can do the 13th as the, as the backup. And I think staff will follow up with the commissioners that are not present. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. If uh, Maybe now you have the comments from the ones that are here and, and you just need to gather the information from they ones that couldn't make it today. Is that a fair statement? Okay. So anyone else wants to have any comment on this so we can move to the um, commissioner's reports or? It, it, it sounds like. like I, I think somebody is typing in and oh, thank you very much. It, it sounds, sounds like, like the 26 is the front runner, runner right now. And the 13th is the runner-up. So we'll reach out to that additional commissioner, two commissioners, and um, and follow up. And then I'll let you all know ASAP um, what that will be. Thank you very much, Annie. And then uh, if uh, it's okay, we'll move to commissioner's reports. Do, you, do we have any commissioner's report for this month? I don't see any hands, but am I seeing everybody? Nope. Okay. So do we have any staff reports? I have one. Um, so as everyone knows, um, Commissioner Stutz resigned from the commission. So we are currently in active recruitment to fill that vacant position. I've underscored the importance of needing a commissioner as soon as possible ahead of the grant application process. So um, they actually were in the process of doing recruitment for all the boards and commissions. It happens this time of year. So um, they did extend the application to today and um, a list of those who applied for that seat will go um, in front of the council at the March 5th meeting. They'll identify a select group of um, council members that will interview, and we should hopefully have someone by the end of March. So ideally, if we can, we will try to get them looped into the equity training um, and get them up to speed as soon as possible. Thank you again. Yeah, we sure need that seat filled as yeah. soon as possible yeah. so we can share the load. 
Okay, any other uh, report? I think three has a comment. Yeah, it's a question actually. I remember when I joined, there was an alternate. Yes. So, so, so if that's yeah. the first person who would get on because you know, if, if somebody stepped down. Yeah, so the alternate is active for six months after they're identified uh -huh. and so they're outside of that timeline. Got it. Okay. But if we had someone step down and because they will they'll identify an alternate this time as well. If someone stepped down or a seat became vacant within that six month, we could just bring in the alternate. We think of life, Shree. It's been a great meeting. Um but I think we're getting getting ready, I think, to close it. Um, if nobody else has any other comments from um, the reports, uh, then I will move to have a motion to adjourn the meeting at 8.34. Do I hear a second? I'll second. Did I? Well, did I? I did. I, I did. I, did I do that by right, Jen? Okay, so the meeting is adjourned at 8.34 p.m. Thank you very much and see you next time. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye.